Well, hi there, everybody. Sorry to interrupt your other podcasts that you're listening to, but a little uh, fun announcement to make here. Casey, in summertime, we'd like to get up to some antics. And those antics would involve getting a bunch of nerds together and doing what nerds do best, yelling at each other. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we are going to do Nerd Debate live this year. <gasps> Nerd Debate 5 live. There we in go. Person. Boom. That yes. is the subtitle. We just came up with it. We will be doing this at the amazing Bullfinch Brew Pub here in Syracuse, New York. So find all the information that you need at our social media or at nightshiftradio.com. We've drank Bullfinch's beer before. Dave, the brewmaster at Bullfinch, makes amazing beers. Check out the amazing stuff that's happening in Bullfinch. You can go to bullfinchbrewpub.com. Come join us on Saturday, July the 29th at 7.30 and be sure to be ready to listen to a bunch of nerds <laughs> argue with each other. <laughs> Alright, we're going to leave your podcast now. Goodbye. <laughs> You're listening to the Never Heard of It podcast. A Night Shift Radio original. Every week we bring you the good, the bad, the weird, and lesser known streaming movies. Hit subscribe for new episodes every Thursday and Sunday. I'm wearing a hoodie now, but I guarantee it's going to get warm in here. We finally turned the heat on. Uh-huh. Yeah. On Thursday night we turned it off because that was the the night that I was supposed to like plummet from being in like the 70s to like the 30s or 40s. And it did get very cold that night, but... I think other people turned on their heat higher and more proactively than we did. Like I said it at 68, thinking like it is 72 in the house right now before we turn our heat on. So if I said it at 68, it's going to stay within a comfortable realm. Sure. And I think I was awake at like 3 a.m. the first time it came on. And I, I happened to like get up and I walked by and like the heat was like the temperature was exactly 68 in the house and the heat he was turning on for the first time. I'm like timed that pretty well. That was good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a uh, it, I turned mine on the other day, but then I've now turned it off because everyone else turned theirs on. So I yeah. normally uh, and my the way my apartment is designed and my previous apartment was like this too. Um, I typically don't have my heat on at all mm-hmm. um, because I'm on the top floor and everybody's heat goes into my apartment and it's yeah. always sweltering. Yeah. Um, so like my bedrooms, uh, you know, mine and, and my daughter's bedroom, I've never turned the heat on in there for either of us because it's always so hot anyways. And my living room is set to 65 because it never really goes below that. Yeah. Um, it's always like 70. So, okay. um, in fact, as we're sitting here, I can feel it getting warm enough with the door closed in here that I'm like, yep, hoodie like, yep. off. Time to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, but, uh, you know, that's what happens when you live uh, in apartment-like condos and stuff like that, as opposed to um, uh, a, 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 a motel in motel. the middle of yeah. the desert. Yeah, I got to imagine, like, those are those are a little bit more difficult to, to maintain the, the heating or, like, just a comfortable temperature. I mean, like, hotels yeah. in general are weird. Like, maybe we've talked about this, maybe, maybe we haven't. I don't know. Like, I, I told you I'm, I'm writing a short story, and I actually found myself including this, like, this opinion in one of the scenes like when i go to a hotel it's always really difficult for me to get the climate control right because you either have like one of those um units where like there's a like a thermostat and like maybe you control that maybe you don't and then like the thing just kind of kicks on and off all fucking night long trying to trying to stay at exactly that temperature and never quite getting right or you have one of the like where the the unit has the the temperature control right on it and it just like 
cranks. And so like, it's always either too hot, too cold, too quiet, never too noisy, loud. Ne- never loud enough. I'll say like, <laughs> uh, like never consistently. And so it's, it's just, it's hard. And I can't, I mean, I got to imagine that is one of the more expensive parts of, of running a, a business like that as well is people yeah. like me trying to get the, the temperature right in their room. And all the pigs in your pool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that being said, hello and welcome to the Never Heard of a Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Vite, And I'm Caleb, and I may or may not be running from a crime. Because <laughs> nobody fucking knows. <laughs> nobody knows. Not even the writer or actors. Uh, so we're on our last movie of, of November. That's true. Uh, so this is it. Uh, and we are, uh, we did two Nicolas Cage films uh, this month. This has been, this has been you know, <laughs> debatable. <laughs> but <laughs> so this has been kind of a roller coaster month in terms of movies because we started off with Call the Conqueror, which is obviously bad. Yes. But we had a really good episode because we had Josh and Talon on from uh, The Fourth Pillar of Play, which Our they're on like episode show. three now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fantastic. Cool weekly podcast. They're designing a uh, they're designing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign as you go and you get to kind of be there with them as they do it and so see cool. like the process. Very, very cool. Um, the first episode, the first official episode, they worked on names uh, for it. And then the second episode, which has already happened by now, uh, you get to see what the name is. So go back and listen if you're a Dungeons and Dragons fan. It's really cool. Uh, so we started off with that. And then we jumped to Season of the Witch, which was not great. Uh, not a great Nicolas Cage film. How Th- dare that you. was. I'm not wrong. <laughs> you're though. not. You're not wrong. I will take that offense because I am <laughs> not wrong. Uh, and that was another movie where it was kind of like what, like the end of the movie happened, and you're like, well, why was it called Season of the Witch then? Yeah. I don't understand. Um, and then we did. What did we just do? Oh, then we I did. Declare I declare war, war, which was like awesome. had all the potential to be like a it was fun, light hearted, like imaginative comedy, and really took a dark turn in in war movie territory. It did. It was that's an on paper film, you yeah. know, where like on paper, this is a great idea. Yeah. Uh, execution, not so much. Yeah. And now we're rounding it out with the suspense thriller, <laughs> I think, uh, Looking Glass, which stars uh, Nick uh, Nicholas Cage and Robin Tooney, by yeah. the way, who yeah. is great. She was in the craft. She's Deborah from Empire Records. She's been in lots of things. And so there, there's a couple things that I, I need to say about this. First of all, um, I, I made an intentional choice when I picked this movie. Uh, based, based on the trailer, I had a pretty good sense of what I was getting us into. Uh, and uh, I made the decision and I committed to it and I stand by it. Uh, so that's fact number one. Uh, fact okay. number two, right. uh, if you watched this movie on Hulu like I did, uh, Hulu mistakenly lists the writer and director of this film as Janu Benton. Uh, yeah. And uh, if you remember correctly, when we when we were joking last week about, like, did we watch the same I Declare War? Because there were several. Uh, I got curious. I was like, okay, Janu Benton has nothing to do with this film whatsoever. What has he done? I looked him up, uh, and known for Looking Glass 2018. Uh, Now, you might say, but we just watched a film called Looking Glass that came out in 2018, and he wasn't in it. Uh, And that's because he was in a short film uh, from 2018 as, uh, I think, writer, director, and actor uh, (laughs) called Looking Glass. He's he's listed as director and starring. Yeah, Yeah. stars, uh, directed and stars Janu Benton. Yeah, I saw that, too. (laughs) 
And I was like, wait, what? I was like, I don't know. A like, I know pretty much everybody that was in this movie. Cause there's only like four people in this movie. It's a pretty and I was cast, like, yeah. definitely not like I knew the three big people, like the sheriff, uh, the, you know, Nick, Nick Cage and Robin Tooney, you know, I, I recognize Mark Lucas from, uh, he was Riley on the Buffy the Vampire show. Of course. I would. recognized him and I knew him and I was like, I knew Robin Tooney. I knew Nicholas Cage and I was like, eh, maybe he was, one of, but I was like starring is a fucking stretch yes. because like <laughs> they would have only had like three lines in the whole movie. <laughs> so like, I don't know, like Nick Cage, like Robin Tooney stars in this movie. But like, if you're not one of those three main people, you are not starring in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it was very interesting when I also looked it up on IMDb and I was like, you're not either of those people. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty uh, pretty wild. Yeah, so this is Looking Glass from 2018. I, I'm i surprised that this movie was 2018 a little bit. Yeah. It kind of feels like it was like 2009. I can see that. Yeah, it is a, yeah. a little bit of a, an earlier 2000s vibe to it. Um, definitely, definitely on the, the grittier side for uh, Cage's films. Uh, and... It's it like so. Yeah, the the overall feel of the movie has, is definitely earlier, um, but like Cage's performance has is very much settled into like modern day Cage. He's a lot less like out there, and crazy, yeah. a lot more reserved, but like still prone to just yell things like. Uh, what the damn you fucks or <laughs> yeah, right. that he yells. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he really, yeah. I mean, this is the most like subdued I've seen Nick Cage in, in quite some time. Like, cause he doesn't have that sort of like bonk, you know, madman bonkers you know, is like the word I was looking in, for. Yeah. Like what you see in like, uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Like he doesn't have those moments. Yeah. Um, he is very like quiet and reserved. Honestly, it kind of feels like, he just did not give a fuck about this movie. And so he just showed up, read his lines, and then was like, all right, I'm going to leave. And then just fucking walked out. Like, that's what it feels like. I don't know, man. This era of Cage where he's he's more subdued, he's playing more dramatic roles, and, like, it, it's it's less the Nick Cage that you expect. Sure. I am, I'm kind of loving this. Like, the more that I see from, like, this time period of, of his stuff... The more I love it. I also am absolutely in love with the fact that apparently Robin Tooney thought he was one of the greatest actors ever and just had like so much fun working with him. And like, I mean, you know, I feel like that is accurate, even I, even though this movie exists. Uh, the, like of all the movies she got to be in with him, like this is probably not the best example. Mm -hmm. um, but I think she's right. <laughs> I yeah. can't imagine he is anything but a treat to work with. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And I, I do hope that at some point in my career, uh, I have a chance to at least meet him, if not, like, actually work on a project together. Because what a, what a joy he's he's added to my life. <laughs> His film catalog <laughs> has, has done so much for my happiness. <laughs> so, uh, so let's jump into this movie, The Looking Glass. So, or Looking Glass, not The Looking Glass. Yeah, Looking get it Glass. Right. Not to be confused with Alice in Wonderland in any way. This is a um, very serious film, Michael, and I demand that you give it the, the respect that it's owed. <laughs> oh, I'm going to give it exactly what it's owed. So uh, the IMDb description of this movie is a couple buy a desert motel where they find that strange, mysterious events occur. That yes. is true. That is true. Is it uh, vague? <laughs> yes. Is it accurate? Eh, debatable. It is true. Debatable. It is true. Uh, it is very vague. 
Um, but yes, that is true. Now I do, I do want to point out that, uh, looking glass on Rotten Tomatoes, not that we take much stock in, in those sort of things, obviously watch the movies you like. Mm -hmm. It did not do well. Uh, It has a 21% uh, tomato meter and a 9% uh, audience score out of over a hundred ratings. That's generous. <laughs> that is quite generous. Yeah, and it's only it's only sitting at a four, uh, four point six uh, out of ten on IMDb. Uh, yeah. So here's the thing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right off the bat, as you guys may have guessed, this movie is pretty terrible. <laughs> but it's pretty terrible for really weird reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, right off the bat, the first thing we see is, uh, we learned that of in some way or another, Ray and Maggie, Ray, Nicholas Cage, Maggie, Robert Tooney, they are married. Some sort of tragedy has befallen them revolving around their daughter. Which, um, so this is the only thing we know. Right off the bat has me thinking like, how many children can Nicholas Cage stand to lose, man? <laughs> this like, guy, at one rough. point, this... Yeah, we got to quote uh, 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 we got to quote Deadpool on this. We're like, at some point, you got to realize you're just a really bad father because <laughs> he's talking about how Liam Neeson keeps getting his daughter taken. Yes, <laughs> he's like, at one point, it's it's the dad's fault at this point. Like, he's just a really bad dad. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, so we see that some sort of tragedy uh, befalls them. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you know we we obviously set up. You know, at first we see them driving in the car, like we see a bunch of scenes of them driving around. Um, I think this is supposed to be Nevada, um, um, but it was filmed in Utah. I say it's. I'm pretty sure it's it's just Utah across the board, but like maybe it is supposed to be Nevada. It's hard to say because like there's there's a casino that they go to at one point, and you know gambling well, is famously legal in Nevada specifically, but in those western states, it gets real kind of like anything goes in a lot of places. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why I think that, too, is because somebody says, like, passing in the background that this is just a stopover on the way to Vegas. So that's why I assumed it's somewhere near Vegas. I mean, it, it could have been Arizona. It could be, you that's know, the, yeah. shit, it could be California, you know, like. Well, we we know it's not, well, we don't know that it's not California, but it's kind of implied that it's not because they came from California and everyone thinks, like, oh, you're from the big city, which yeah. uh, if if you're from either New York or California, and you've ever gone anywhere else but, but especially if you go anywhere towards the interior of the country, people will automatically assume that you're from a huge city because yeah. that's their, their, like, at least maybe not so much anymore now that the world is more connected. I don't know. I'm, I'm grown up now and I have different experiences. But as a kid coming to the Midwest from rural upstate New York, people will be like, oh, my God, you're from New York City? Are you in a gang? I'm like, first of all, uh, I live across the street from a cornfield, so the only gang on my street <laughs> is cows. Um, yeah, and they're called a herd. <laughs> <laughs> they take offense when you call them gangs. They get really up. Yeah, about they're, it. they're not. I mean, they're they're just more of a social club. <laughs> but the the other like it, it it feels very much like Nevada, but like Nevada and Utah and like a lot of that the the high desert of the the south and south or the the West and Southwest of the, the country has a very similar feel. Uh, so it's hard to say. Uh, I just know that it's far enough away from any of the, the, like the major cities of which, you know, Nevada has two and 
Utah has one. Uh, it's far enough for yeah. many of them to be to feel remote and isolated and like very small towny. So like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know where I was going with this anymore. Just that's right. I mean, we know it was filmed in Utah, so at at bare minimum, Utah was involved in one way or another. And he says, you know, oh, you're from L.A. Yeah. Like to to or accuses Nicolas Cage of being from L.A. They never really confirmed that. Um, it is really weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, but mm -hmm. anyways, so, so, you know, we see, we see the driving scenes, we see, uh, uh, Ray and Maggie in the car. And at first it feels like they may have like a tumultuous relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Like they may still be grieving and it may still be like, maybe their marriage is having trouble now because they're, they're struggling to, um, get over their daughter's death, right? Reasonable. The very yeah. valid things, very reasonable. Or but maybe it's just because Cage is crushing road sodas the entire drive. <laughs> the entire drive. <laughs> and then and then they park, and then they do like this playful thing with each other, and you're like, oh, no, they actually like each other. All yeah. right, got it. Like, yeah. they're happily married. Cool, right? Maybe. Right? They're, they're totally happily married. But they're not. Um, and Why? I, we're gonna we're gonna make that up as we go along too, because mm -hmm. you know why not? So we learn that they buy this motel. Uh, they pull up, nobody is there. Uh, you know, and they're like, well, "What is going on? Like, this is really weird. Like, I thought the guy would meet us here. He calls the guy that sold him the motel, and you know, he eventually finds a key which was left at basically at the doorstop, which is of this hotel. Yeah, <laughs> they do address that, which I'm glad. But like when he walks up and like picks up an envelope off the ground and it has the key, and like. They just left the key to the entire fucking motel, just like under the mat or something. Like <laughs> to that. which Nicolas Cage calls the guy and says, "You just left the key like under the fucking mat." <laughs> <laughs> which, been... which I like that it's worked in that that is part of the plot, right? Yeah. It is because yeah. at first I was like, "Who fucking like what fucking world is this?" Like, yes. but then it's like part of the plot, and I was like, "Okay, that makes sense." Especially because like he reacts to it as though like it's strange, but then they just go with it at first, and I'm like, "That that what no." No, please address yeah. that. And he does. Yeah. Um, and they do. Yeah. But also, I mean, I guess you get what you get when you buy a motel off Craigslist. Yeah. I mean, bold. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we learn later that Nicolas Cage did, in fact, come out and view this place before he uh, before he ended up um, buying it. Mm -hmm. um, the, the red herring in this movie is so annoying and dumb. Anyways, yes. So, so <laughs> they they call the owner, right? And the owner is this old guy by the name of Ben. And you know, Ben's in like a bar uh, or at something, you know. And and you know, they call Ben, and Ben's like, "Oh, good, you got it. Hey, like, I'm glad you saw the key under the mat." And he's like, "Yeah, why the fuck would you just leave this key under the mat?" And Ben's like, "Ah, you'll be fine." And he's like, "Well." I, you know, I just, I may like, where are you? Like, can I get a hold of you? Like, what's your number? Like, I may have questions. Like, what if something comes up? And he's like, ah, you'll be fine. All right, I gotta go. Bye. And then hangs up the phone. And we learned that Ben basically drops off the map, um, which, you know, is suspicious. It is just a little uh, bit. Yeah. Just a little suspicious. Um, so now Nick Cage, you know, now uh, Ray and Maggie are, are kind of getting used to, you know, getting the, the um, hotel in order you know they're you know or the motel they're going around and checking all the rooms everything seems legit right sure. there's nothing weird so far it's a small town um you know but they're just getting used to everything the cleaning lady comes in you know in the morning and you know they're like oh cool well we'll get her her own key so she doesn't have to wake us up the whole time you know and they're getting set up sure 
establishing thing. Here's what I think is really weird. It's like almost 30 minutes of the movie where each of the two characters have scenes where they interact with people. They themselves don't interact with each other. Not Ray much. and Maggie don't really talk to each other at all. And it's not it's not in a like a oh, they're avoiding each other. It was like a the director and the writer made it so that they never were in the same room together and not purposefully. Yeah. It just was weird that, you know, because by the time they do, like, later on, they do end up having a conversation. It's like one of the first conversations we get where they're actually talking to each other, you know, longer than like, hey, pick up a thing. Hey, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. And then they talk and you're like, whoa, what? Like, where was that 30 minutes ago? I <laughs> like, almost... it would be cool to know about you. I almost think that maybe the intention was to imply that they are, you know, still rocky. That they're they're a little bit on the outs, but like, but like we don't see that. Yeah, it wasn't actually shown enough to establish that. Like, like okay, like I think that maybe. Oh, maybe, maybe they're not. Wait, maybe they are. And it's right. that like constant. Like, I mean, it it does kind of come to a head at one point, but in such a really awkward and like not well-written way that it's just like it it makes it that much less believable it becomes so over the top so so we'll jump into why and we'll, we'll i mean we might as well get into the reason why without Let's having to step through the movie do it just do it, it i'm gonna f- rip the band-aid uh, <laughs> so we learn that nicholas kate that ray is an alcoholic uh philanderer um, you know, he basically was off allegedly. cheating. Uh, allegedly. Yeah, we we uh, never learned for sure if he actually did. Um, we but, never learned for sure anything in this movie. That, that you're, except for the one guy that was like, hey, I totally did that. Hey, and I then you're the like, thing. oh, good. <laughs> At least somebody told me something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so supposedly he was next door, stooping the neighbor. Um, and at the same time, his uh, wife was with the daughter, but she was uh, high on drugs, on pills. Um, she was using pills, and the six-year-old daughter uh, falls out of the uh, out of the window and dies. Which, um, yeah, I mean, I have questions. <laughs> Is it, yeah, is it a Punch and Judy situation? Is it? <laughs> a, uh, I I just watched a movie last night where someone is standing by an open window and gets hit hard with a door that sends them flying out. Like, is it like that? Like, how does the kid end up out the window? Especially a six year old. Like, you can reason with a six year old to to be like, hey, get away from the window. Like, those, a six year old knows not to play near windows, right? Most six year olds. Yes. Do six year olds fall out of windows? Absolutely. All the fucking time. But Wait, like, do they? I don't- Right. I don't know. I mean, sure. I'm sure it happens, right? You know, because somebody's going to come out and be like, well, my neighbors, he'd be like, sure, that probably did happen. But okay. like, I feel like six-year-olds are reasonable enough that they're not going to be like running out of windows. But anyways, um, and it's really weird because the thing is, is both of those stories, him being a cheater and her, well, kind of him being a cheater, but him being a cheater and her being a high on pills it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter for the whole... Like, it just... It's this extra, unnecessary added element to their character when mm-hmm. it could have just been... Like, this could have, like, 100% been, like, a Maltese Falcon type thing where it's, like, Nick Kate, You know, like, Ray gets into the situation. Coincidentally, all this shit happens and everyone's like, you're the guy. And he's like, you are mistaken. I'm <sighs> not the guy. And we spend the whole movie of, you know, being like, no, literally, I'm not the guy. Yeah. 
And everyone's like, no, you totally are. Uh, and that's not what happens, but what happens is just dumber and like, more like annoying. It's like, so every character in this, this is a murder mystery it, on its surface. Like if you want to do like the shallowest uh, genre plot description of this film. It's a murder mystery. Uh, but it's one that's written <laughs> to the point where like literally every character is suspicious enough to be like a suspect until like, until the killer is revealed, not even until people are ruled out until the killer is actually revealed. Everyone is a suspect. And, but like not in a good way, not in a, like, I actually think that this person could be, it's just like, Oh well, I guess this person is also shady enough to be involved. <laughs> the, yeah, the problem is, is that everybody is fucking weird in the movie, uh -huh. and it's not like, oh, like this town is fucking weird. Just like, why are you acting this way? Like, you have no reason to act this way. And the other thing is, is like, there's a whole lot of unearned questions. There's a whole lot of times where people will ask a question or accuse somebody of something, and it's like. But you don't have, like, the audience doesn't have that information that yeah. you would know that information. So you asking this question seems like it doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest moments, you know, one of the, the first big moment that happens in this movie is, you know, they come home, they come back to the motel after, you know, a night out because they're, like, stressed out. And there's a pig cut up floating dead in their uh, pool yeah. and stuffed inside the pig is a picture, a, a graduation photo of this girl. And it says Chrissy written on it. Mm -hmm. And Nick Ray's first, the first thing he does is pick up the pig after mind you that morning, the very same morning he had spoken to a police officer, the, the police officer in town rolled in and was like, Hey, yeah. what's going on? I'm the, I'm the cop in town. Like, nice to meet you. I used to come in here and hang out with Ben all the time and drink coffee. And Ray's like, cool. I'll make sure to have coffee for you. Like it was a very like welcome to town. You know, he was being weird. Was Everyone's fucking weird in this movie, weird. but like not in a weird, not in like a bad way. It was just, he was just fucking weird, like small town weird. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, Ray gets the the pig. He pulls it out. Like clearly, somebody you know the gate was locked. So like clearly, somebody is doing this specifically to this motel. And Ray's first thought is to take the pig out to the desert and burn it and never talk about it again. Mm -hmm. It is so fucking weird for him to do that. But then the next day, he talks to the police officer, and the police officer is like, "Ray, buddy, old pal, pew pew." Mm -hmm. So what did you do last night? And he's like. I don't know, like the wife and I went out and he was like, ah, cool. But then you sped out of here really fast. And he was like, what? He was like, oh, I saw it on the, on the camera and he's pointing to the place across the street. And he was like, oh yeah, I, I left. And then I came back and he was like, yeah. So, you know, uh, and then, you know, Ray's like, oh, cause there was this pig in my pool and he's just like, yeah, no, I know. Mm -hmm. It's like, what, but how, you know, like, but this is so, like, why didn't you call the police? Why didn't you call the police? So, like, yeah. this is a perfect moment to do so. First of all. Yeah. I mean, like the, the cop has already been around and been like sketchy and weird towards you. Uh, maybe implying that like, he's you know keeping a little too close an eye on you. You've already talked to the guy across the street. So, you know, that they are keeping an eye on you in that like small town. I got my eye on you sort of way. Uh, and then this thing happens and like, you feel like that, like maybe there's already a little bit of like suspicion building 
it like the first thing you do to maybe try to like stop that suspicion from being directed to you is to immediately cooperate in every way possible. Uh, but he doesn't do that. He he acts super shady and like takes the you know has himself a, a pig roast out in the desert. And you know, the the cop gives him shit for it. It's like you know the Rangers were were not too happy when they found it. Uh, you know like at least burn your pig on a campsite. Which okay whatever like that's that's sure. weird. But like okay <clears throat> so. They saw Ray leaving a little too quickly, but didn't see what he was doing and didn't see anyone. Like, they make a point to say, like, we didn't see anyone bring the pig there. So, can right. you, like, like, is there surveillance footage or is there not? Right. Well, I mean, because obviously they've seen it. And my my biggest concern, so this happens, and then later in the film, uh, a bunch of red maybe paint is sprayed all over the uh, motel. And the reason behind it is because just after uh, Ray visits the motel for the very first time that night, uh, a, a young girl by the name of Chrissy um, is found dead in a pool. So mm-hmm. the story originally that Ray says is that, um, you know, she basically cut herself up and got in the pool and bled out in the pool. What we learn slightly later is that she was gutted and thrown in the pool. Um, so she was cut, split open down down her body, and that's the reason why the pig was split open, uh, and that and she was found in the pool, and is the reason you know Ben wanted to sell the place because like everybody was giving him shit for her dying in this pool. So he's getting pranked about it. The thing is, is that plot and Chrissy goes nowhere. Nowhere. Literally, it is a driving force for a lot of the movie. And then there's like this other plot about this voyeuristic thing. But the whole Chrissy thing does not go anywhere. It's also heavily implied that Chrissy isn't the first or only person to be killed at that motel prior to Ray taking ownership. But that goes nowhere, too. Also, Um, right. I mean, we can extrapolate maybe a little bit, but, like, it basically goes nowhere. mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, like, we just, we can, we have this setup of characters who are all, you know, very suspicious. We know, Ray and Maggie, new in town, possibly on the rocks, marriage-wise, possibly not. Um, You know, both suspicious of each other for different reasons. We have the sketchy sheriff. We have the sketchy guys running the the auto shop across the street. We've got Ben who just up and disappeared. We have uh, uh, Tommy, Tommy uh, who just kind of comes and goes as he's a long haul trucker that likes to to make a stop every now and then with a you know with a local woman to to keep him company. Uh, you know, and as, as Ray says, whatever you do is uh, is your own business as long as you're not killing anyone in there. <laughs> no, not killing anyone. Pew pew. Which uh, he definitely said he like definitely responds to that in a really weird. way. Way. Like he, he hesitates and then's like, oh yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely not uh, doing that. No, and you're like, super, well, Tommy's super not killing anyone in there. <laughs> I would no. I what? and then uh, <laughs> like, it's so weird. We have uh, Jessica room, room, uh, room Jessica six, uh, played by uh, Jackie Gray, who uh, I just saw earlier. She was in something. Oh, she was in Drive Me Crazy. Do you remember yeah. the Melissa Joan Hart yeah. movie? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we also have a literal Chekhov's gun. Yes. we have. A, I, I called that out loud when I saw it. Yep. And then uh, we also have uh, the um, 
Strawberry Blonde, they call her, uh, played by uh, Kasia Conway. Uh, and it's like every single one of these people, you know, like, were given some reason to be, like, kind of weirded out by, uh, you know, obviously the exception being Jessica when she is murdered. Right. And what drives me crazy about this movie is that they make every single person suspicious, but they go through really great lengths to make it seem like Ray might be the one doing it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because, like, the cop will be like, hey, you know, it's weird. You came to town, and then all of a sudden this girl gets murdered. Hey, you know, then then this other girl gets murdered, and he's like, hey, it's kind of weird. Like, you know, you were seen around this girl, and now she's murdered. And so and he's, he's like, I, and he's like, did you do it, Ray? Did you do it? Did you do it, Ray? This is the cop. And they that do was it, and a he's really like, weird scene. And he never says no. He never says no, I didn't do it. He keeps saying, do what? Did I do what? Did I do what? He never says no. Yeah. And it's really weird because then we learn about him being like a, a serial cheater or potentially allegedly a serial cheater. And you're like, maybe he's often people, but like, it was really weird because the movie really, really, really tries hard to make you think that Ray is the bad guy mm -hmm. while everyone else is acting fucking weird. But the reveal is so stupid. Mm -hmm. And then it's just like when you finally realize who it is, you're like, okay, uh, all right, we'll go with that. Like, yeah. then why were you making, why would you making the audience feel like it was Ray? Like, that's, that's unearned. <laughs> it was unearned so, plot. So, uh, like, the whole thing that is supposed to be driving the, the central plot of this movie, uh, the, the, w would this be an appropriate use of MacGuffin? The, uh, uh, yeah, the hallway. The, the hallway. Yeah. Yep. The, the MacGuffin of the film uh, is that uh, Ray stumbles across this like creepy hallway that he's got to crawl up a ladder and through like a, a crawl space to get to, uh, where he learns that the the hotel rooms have one way mirrors in them, uh, and they set up in such that uh, someone with access to this hallway could watch what was going on in the rooms. Could be could be a, a creepy voyeur. Uh, yeah, but it's only one specific room, it's, and it's uh, specifically uh, number ten. Is it just number ten? I thought he it was only all of ever them, goes to he only ever goes to number ten. I guess you're right. I guess because yeah. because he he looks in on a few different people. I guess I assumed that it was different rooms, but yeah, it must be only room number ten, which is why they kept insisting on room ten. Uh, yeah, which also like that was another thing that was like really weird, like. The 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 trucker always insisted on room ten because like you know I don't you know you know, don't want to bother anyone with my comings and goings and then the uh, <laughs> his comings that's for sure. <laughs> when he when he's doing his duty to his wiener uh, <laughs> that is an actual line I didn't make that up uh, uh, yeah uh, the very the very specific the line is uh, exactly. Um, uh, I got to do my duty to my wiener. Yes. Mind you, this is, this line is immediately after he tells a story about a woman being gutted open. Then uh -huh. he was like, yeah, a woman was gutted open here like a month ago, right in your pool. Anyways, I got to go do a duty <laughs> to my wiener. And it's like, who fucking talks like that? <laughs> who talks like that? You psychopath. Uh, and of course we learned that, uh, Kasia Conway's character, the, the strawberry blonde is a local dominatrix, uh, sure. who, who seems to be meeting clients there. She also really particularly loves room 10. Uh, and it's, it's, it's a really strange where like the, like the people who are coming and going from this hotel are always insistent on room 10, but they don't know about the the creepy voyeur mirror unless maybe they had an arrangement with ben and like he oh did they have an arrangement with ben i don't think so like 
kind of feel like Tommy, the way he like insisted on like tipping a little extra for the discretion, uh, kind of felt like he maybe knew that, and that was like, that, like ben, ben was thing. watching. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but that information isn't it's, even implied. It's, it's not there. It's yeah. one of those, like you're extrapolating yeah. based on like what you think. I mean, yeah. maybe, but that would have been cool to know. But uh, they fucking kill Ben for no reason. Yeah. So, well, like, not, literally no reason it to seems kill like Ben. No reason. There, there is a reason, and we'll, we'll get I to mean, it. But it's it's a bad reason. But it's there. Yeah. Um, the so the the whole thing is set up where like you know Nick Cage has started to uh, creep on on room ten, and at one point like he starts to suspect because the the dominatrix woman uh, was involved with uh, with Jessica before she goes missing and turns up dead, and then he sees her again in with another person in the room. So he follows her to a bar. This is where we get the Chekhov's gun thing because like he gets like uh, confronted by her. Friend, boyfriend, date, associate, we don't know. Uh, just a big dude who starts like beating on him and he pulls the gun on him. Uh, yeah. But when he comes back from this is one of the, the weirdest scenes in the film because, of course, Maggie watches him drive away after the woman drives away. So she immediately thinks he's going somewhere to fuck her. And when he comes back, she's already like... No, I'm not going to hear any of it. You were you were cheating. You lied to me. You lied to me all the time, and I'm not going to listen to it. And I'm just like, locks herself in the bathroom to get high, and he of course kicks down the fucking door. Literally, like throws her pills in the toilet, throws her in the shower. It's a very weird, aggressive scene from both of them, and like she's she's making no effort to listen to him, but he's also making no effort to exonerate himself, and it's like you two are in a very unhealthy relationship. And anything that we have seen thus far has really kind of has hinted at that, but like not like overtly shown it. Uh, but then we see that we're like at, at some point, like she's just like beating on him and then she like starts kissing him and like, like takes out his dick and they fuck. Yeah. It's, it's very weird. It's- I, there's, there's three moments with, um, with this woman that are all very fucking weird because all of them, she has lines that don't make sense because mm-hmm. they're like, it's either you do know that. Why are you saying that? Or you don't know that. Why are you asking that? Mm-hmm. Cause the very first time that she ever has uh, any interaction with any of the characters is she comes into rent a room with Nick cage. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick cage is really fucking weird to her. Like he yeah. is really like almost on the verge of like hitting her. Anything. Yeah. Yeah, just and she's like, like I know some, what you need some coffee. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's just so weird. And she's like, okay, you need brochures here. She's like, well, you know, good night. And she, you know, slinks off to to her room. The next moment that we have the interaction with her is she comes back to rent a room and she rents it from Maggie. Mm-hmm. To which she says, like, she she runs the room and he was, and so this is the weird part is Maggie says, have you ever been here before? To which she doesn't respond. And then she picks up a photo of of Ray and Maggie and says, oh, is, is, this, is this your husband? Is this mm-hmm. your old man? And, you know, Maggie's like, yeah. And then she's like, you better watch out for that one. Yeah. And then she goes off. So it's like the implication is that she knows Nick Cage, right? Mm-hmm. Because now we have that sort of inkling, which is why Maggie gets so suspicious when he runs off after her is because this woman is now implied. The third time that we see her is the part with the gun. He chases after her to the bar and says to her, like, 
hey, I know what you're doing. And she's like, I don't know who you are. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yes. And he's like, I run the fucking motel. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, congratulations. But it's so unnecessary because it's like she's not being... It's not like she's being secretive. She's acting like she legit does not know him and just like, hey, mind your business. Yeah. And it's like, but you, we know that you know him. This whole like being coy thing is so unnecessary. It doesn't make sense because the audience knows that both of you know each other. What is the point of this scene? And, and then like add on top of that, like you know, the, the, as you mentioned, there's so much effort put into putting the suspicion on Ray as potentially being the killer. Ray makes no effort whatsoever to remove that suspicion from himself. If anything, None. everything he does only adds to it without making any attempt to like clear himself whatsoever. And just, it's, it's very weird. It's very frustrating to be, you know, in that sense is that every single person in this film acts unrealistically, mm -hmm. like over the top, unrealistic, like the cop, acts unrealistic ray acts unrealistic everything he does you're like why would you do that mm -hmm. like why would you do any of that and then like the other thing is so the first time that he talks to the people across the uh the gas station person the gas station's like oh hey you took over from ben and he's like yeah and he's like oh yeah he's like well hey you know i'm across the street i'm always here mm -hmm. if you need anything let me know you know my boys like we can uh we can take care of stuff like we, we take can, care of anything in this we town. take care of wink, anything wink. in this town right like i can i can uh you know help you out like he he is being reasonable right mm -hmm. um you know but then the frustrating part is the second time that he goes over to him uh he says uh you know he goes over nick goes over to him and he's like hey man like you outed me to the cops and he's like yeah, what of it? You know, yeah. and he just he's completely being a dick to him. It's and it's like, like why would I be watching your place? You fucking like, You told fucking me told you me you were going to. Like you told me you were. And then there's like these these his boys are like sitting there being all like creepy and standing by and stuff like that. That goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. It goes, there's literally no point to it. They create these characters that are creepily standing by, and they even show them late in the movie again, like creepily standing by staring at him. And like, yeah, that pool it, must it, be hard to keep clean. Like did you put the pig there? So you put the pig there, but why did you put the pig there? Like, there is no explanation to why these people are being creepy. No. There's no explanation to why anybody is doing anything in the movie. No. Like I said, so later we find out it is the sheriff. The sheriff is is hiring this dominatrix. He he goes in the, in the motel with the dominatrix. He watches the two women do their thing. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes he kills them. Um, you know, obviously not every time because he watched Jessica for weeks uh, mm -hmm. doing the dominatrix thing before he eventually killed her. Mm -hmm. I guess maybe Cassie was one, um, you know, but those are the only two we know are, that are confirmed is Jessica and Cassie. And that's it. And then later he, so the, the cop ends up kidnapping Maggie mm -hmm. because he realizes that Ray's into it. He also ends up ki uh, finally getting a hold of Ben the whole time. He keeps being like, hey, if you get a hold of Ben. Yeah. Like, you need to get a hold of Ben. Ben, you know, needs to do that. So the assumption is, is that Ben learns that the cop kills Cassie, right? Well, he, he, I guess, but Ben was selling the the motel before that anyways, so... Yeah. <laughs> it's like he he's trying to get a hold of Ben. Like, we, we figure out eventually that he's trying to do it to, like, 
tie up loose ends. Like he thinks maybe Ben might be on to him and that's why Ben got the fuck out and, you know, made himself scarce. And Ben very intentionally makes himself like unreachable. uh, Yeah. Like disconnected number, no forwarding address. Like he has disappeared. And so like Ray makes the effort and like calls around everyone who could possibly know him. And finally, like, you know, Ben reaches out and like, Hey, like, you shouldn't be doing this, but like, I'll meet you in the middle of nowhere somewhere. And he's like, you know, we shouldn't be, be talking. Like you just need to pack up and go. Like you just, just get out of there. Just leave. Like I'll give you half your money back. Give you ha- like, yeah. And he's like, you shouldn't have contacted me. And then of course he gets shot from a distance straight through the heart, a perfect, you know, a perfect kill shot from like three miles away. Uh, yeah. We see a, a, a car drive away in the distance. And that's when Ray is like, you know what we need to do? Just pack up and leave. <laughs> yeah. So like, that's the other thing is like Ray knows that there is suspicion on him and people are dying and there is suspicion on him as being involved. And he's with a man who is killed uh, as part of that. And his decision is, I'm just going to get up and leave. And this is not, you know, 1920 where you can pick up, leave, disappear, change your name. This is 2018 where like everything is online to the point where the cop shows him a printed out uh, like newspaper article of his child's death. Like, like your past is going to follow you. How do you think that you're just going to pack up and leave this motel and no one's going to find you and ask you questions about all the suspicious deaths? Yeah. I, this whole movie is so terribly written that like, it's so frustrating because nobody acts, not even the killer. Like it even gets to the point where when you find out that the cop is the killer and you see him with Maggie, the thing that, that makes you know that it's him, as Caleb said, he says like, yep, I did it. Yeah. But like, we don't, there isn't like a, oh, you did it because, oh, like now I understand, like we've unraveled the plot and you're, you know, uh, into, you know, killing these women because they reject you mm-hmm. or something like there's no reason behind it. Nope. So there's no connection. Like there's no way to connect the cop to the people being killed aside from the fact that he hires this dominatrix, but we know that he hires the dominatrix and doesn't kill as well. So, like, we don't, there is no, like, one plus one for this for you to be like, oh, it was the cop because of this. And here's his reason. You're like, oh, it's the cop? I guess. Yeah. I I don't know. Like, it literally could have been anybody that we've seen. And I would have been like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, the cop was the most sketchy of everyone. And so, like, in the end, I was like, yeah, it's definitely going to be the cop the way he's acting. But then the reveal was just like, it wasn't even like, yeah, of course, I knew it all along. It was like, fuck it, I guess so. (laughs) Yeah, it really was. It was like, oh, okay, sure, it's the cop. And, you know, at this point, Nick, uh, you know, Ray, uh, you know, uh, the cop takes, um, kidnaps Maggie, chains her to the bed in room number 10, um, does it. But here's the thing. He doesn't know that it's a two-way mirror. No. So this is where I'm thinking that we didn't know that, that, that the town didn't know that, that this is him. Maybe he was the only one who didn't know. But so like when, and, uh, as this was happening, I, uh, like I made it a point, like he, he walks up kind of like checks out the, the door of the window, like he sees the lights on in there. So he knows like the, the their, their residence in the motel has been like ransacked and Maggie's nowhere to be found. So he makes yep. the assumption like, all oh, right, she's been taken and he sees the lights on in room 10. So, so he he makes the connection like 
she's in there with the killer. Okay, got it. Uh, he has the key to the door. He could go in that way. He's obviously not afraid of kicking in the door if he needs to. He could have done sure. that. But he takes a sweet time while his wife is is kidnapped and possibly being killed to go through the, the creepy uh, peephole uh, and watch through the mirror, uh, which... Terrible from a plot perspective, but great for dramatics when he gets the cop's attention by tapping on the glass just to, like, burst through and tackle him, uh, which was hilarious. I loved that. Which is great, Uh, yeah. (laughs) But then, like, you have this moment where the cop's like, ah, so that's how Ben knew it was me doing it, or something like that. I'm like, yeah. What? Like, what? But how did you know Ben knew? Like, I don't understand. So are you just, like, assuming because Ben, like, sold the place that, like, he said he was going to sell? Like, you make it a point for, like, he's been saying for six years he was going to sell the place and leave. So And he had somebody look at the house or look at the motel before he killed Cassie. That's the other thing. Before the big murder, Ben had already been selling the place. (sighs) So... It didn't make sense. The whole movie made no sense whatsoever. Like, no, no, nothing of this movie made me be like, well, that's redeemable. And nothing. We, we've already talked about the the, uh, the quality of Ray's decision making. Yeah. Um, he, of course, comes out on top. Of, like, he manages to um, to. You know, save Maggie. He shoots the cop, which gives honestly with his gun with with, 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 with the Chekhov's gun, which somehow the cop had for some reason. Yeah, uh, we never find out why. Uh, um, but the like the best comedic timing I've ever seen in a place where it shouldn't be outside of maybe the baby and Punch and Judy. Uh, Cage shoots the cop, uh, and the cop just says, "Well, this could have gone better." <laughs> Which is, <laughs> and then yeah, and then Ray shoots him again, and he dies. Yeah. I, but then another bad decision making. So they, after he's done this, yeah. He, so they, they just, just they just get in the truck and leave. So like yeah, he he like he and saves there's the a day. witness. There's there's a wit- there's plenty of witnesses at this point. He he saves Maggie. The and you know shoots the cop. Makes no effort to get a hold of anyone to be like, hey, uh, I was involved in this thing, but as you can see. I am innocent. My wife will corroborate that he kidnapped her and you know, confessed to the whole thing before I shot him. Please help me clean this mess up. No, gets in the truck and leaves. And, and now, like leaves passes behind. by Tommy, who is like, "Hey, you're all beat up and stuff." Who Tommy is going to go into that room because that's his favorite room mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and see a dead cop and then be like, "Oh fuck, he killed the cop." Yeah, yeah. Like, <sighs> come on, man. I. I, so this, yeah. So, I mean, this is a horribly, horribly written movie, um, directed just as bad. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to be nice, uh, about stuff like, Hey, you got, to, you made a movie congrats, but like, I can't, it is so bad. I will say though, I thought that some of the shots themselves, some of the cinematography was actually really well done. And I looked up, it's uh, Patrick Cady uh, was the cinematographer for this. And he's done, it looks like mostly a lot of like TV. Like I've seen the Fear of the Walking Dead episodes that he's done. I love that show. Um, yeah, but I, I scroll a little bit farther. He did the cinematography for uh, the 2008 Day of the Dead. Oh, all right. So all right. He's, he's like, he's worked with fucking Romero. Uh, yeah. So like, I, I won't go so far as to say that this was like, 
brilliantly, beautifully shot, uh, or even to say that the cinematography redeems the film. But I will say, of all of it, Nick Cage getting being in the movie period uh, and the cinematography were the only parts that I enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty weird. I I have to say. So you know, this is this is one. If you haven't guessed it already, should you watch this movie? I. I don't think I can I don't think I can in good conscience recommend it because I feel like it'll make people angry because it made me angry. <laughs> it didn't make me angry, but like it was just it was annoying uh like how how interesting of a story it could have told and just sure. decided not to. Um so I'll basically uh, I'll give this the same uh hedging that I gave to Season of the Witch. If you are trying to Pokémon Nick Cage's career, watch it. It's an hour 45. It didn't, it didn't drag. I will say like, it didn't feel like it was too long. Um, and I I think cage gives an interesting performance given what he's working with. It's not the bonkers batshit case that you, you might recognize, uh, from his earlier career. And it's not the full on dramatic masterpiece that is pig, uh, is somewhere in between. Uh, I think he does really well. But yeah, just not not well written, not well directed, uh, and just leaves more questions than it answers. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I I, I left this movie just being like, why for everything, mm-hmm. every scenario possible. Mm-hmm. I was like, why? Why is this scenario <laughs> happening? Why is this person asking this question? They don't know that information to ask that question, or. Yep. Why are they asking this question? They do know the information of this question. Yeah. Uh, it was very frustrating. If, you know, especially if you are into story construction or like, or if you're a writer yourself, this might actually be a good movie to watch to, to kind of understand, like to read through and be like, ah, this is why character development is so important. I mm-hmm. understand now. Like it is very important, like how remembering that characters talk to each other, uh, because it did not feel like anybody actually ever talks to each other. It feels like everybody talks in the same room with each other, but nobody retains any information and nobody progresses through the story with information that they receive yeah. at all. Agreed. Uh, like information is given and then nothing happens with it. It just, they just keep progressing through the story. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so there it is. Looking glass is available on Hulu. So if you're the type of person that watches movies after we review them, and if you're like, no, I'm going to watch this movie now, that's where you can watch it. Yeah. Uh, so go for it, you know? Uh, yes. but other than that, you know, don't maybe. This has been a very interesting month. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we, we don't have anything lined up for December yet. So we'll see. We do have uh, another one. Hey, maybe it's out by now already. Uh, I don't know. But we just got a screener for Wounded Fawn. Oh my God. Um, I'm so excited for this. It's going to be really excited. So we are going to do a bonus episode for Wounded Fawn. Uh, so this is another great opportunity to remind you to be subscribed uh, or follow uh, this uh, this podcast because mm-hmm. then you, that's when you'll know about bonus episodes, which we have bonus episodes every Thursday. We talk about things that are going on. Uh, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about Black Panther. Before that, we talked about Marvel Snap. Uh, Caleb talked about watching the movie Prey. Mm. Uh, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, things that are out and about in the world. But if you're not subscribed, you don't know that those bonus episodes exist because they won't uh, drop into your inbox. So make sure you're subscribed. 
And that way, maybe if uh, we were able to push the Wounded Fawn episode out because of, you know, whenever embargo things, uh, maybe it's already out by now for you listening, or maybe it will be out soon. Mm -hmm. Um, So make sure to subscribe so you can get notified for all of that, and that would be great. And of course, all the social media things down below, uh, make sure to give us a follow on your social media platform of choice that we exist on, uh, and we would appreciate that, because also where you'll learn about all of the new things, including other new shows and stuff like that. So definitely check all that out. Um, Hey, you know what? Thanks a lot for listening, everyone. Yeah. And as always, make sure to share with 100,000 of your closest characters in your story that have absolutely no purpose. Uh, And like definitely uh, imply that they might be the killer. Yes, because I don't know. Reasons, man. They might be. You don't know. (laughs) They might be. Shit. Who knows? We could be (laughs) wrong the whole time. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us, everyone. We will see you next time.